0: Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Hey, you know all that personal protective equipment we're importing from China? (laughs) Guess what? Much of that PPE is substandard. And even more appalling, a lot of it is being made by slave labor. Just will you hear what Sheila gunn Reid has to say on this one. And welcome to the new normal on the healthcare front. People on elective surgery lists are being kept out of hospitals for their own safety. Just one hitch. Those people, some of them at least, are dying thanks to being denied much needed medical treatment. Andrea Humphrey will highlight one particular tragedy regarding a relatively young man who died for absolutely no good reason at all. And finally, letters, we get your letters. We get your letters every minute of every day. And I'll share some of your responses regarding our video about the Afro-Indigenous Rising Collective. Yeah, that's that hodgepodge group of anarchists and drug addicts and mentally ill people who turned Toronto's Nathan Phillips Square into a no-go zone for three weeks. Well, they've taken their freak show on the road and they're now occupying Dufferin Grove Park as the mayor simply shrugs his shoulders and says, hey, whatcha gonna do? Those are your rebels, now let's round them up.
1: First things first, friends let me be perfectly clear so that YouTube doesn't take this video down. I'm not at all giving medical advice. I'm not giving you advice about whether or not you need to wear a mask wear one if you want to or if you're forced to or don't let's all just mind our own business and take care of ourselves and make choices for ourselves but for the love of god if you do choose or are forced to wear a mask please please make sure that mask is not from china now because you're smart plugged in people you probably already knew this much a number of european governments have already rejected chinese-made equipment designed to combat the coronavirus outbreak Why you ask? Well, look at this. Thousands of testing kits and medical masks are below standard or defective, according to authorities in Spain, Turkey, and the Netherlands. Dutch health ministry announced it had recalled 600,000 face masks. Dutch officials said that the masks did not fit and that their filters did not work as intended, even though they had a quality certificate. Huh. Now, Canada's not immune. Canada got some of those defective masks too, over a million of them. Swabs also. The Canadian government bought them from China for medical use after Justin Trudeau sent Canada's strategic supply over to China at the height of the pandemic. However, the masks and swabs that came to us were either contaminated or not fit for medical use. But friends, if you needed even more convincing that Chinese manufactured masks are a terrible idea, Let the information I'm about to give you push you over the finish line. Look at this horrific information in the New York Times. A Times video investigation identified Chinese companies using a contentious labor program for Uyghurs to satisfy demand for PPE, some of which ended up in the United States and other countries. Now, what's a Uyghur? If you don't know, please blame the mainstream media because these people... They don't fit into the government's pro-China narrative, so they are rarely spoken of. Chinese Uyghurs are a peaceful Muslim ethnic minority. They're ferociously persecuted alongside Christians in China.
0: So let me get this straight. A preponderance of personal protective equipment sourced in China is substandard? Oh, you don't say. And furthermore, much of it is made via slave labor from a persecuted minority group? I know, just when you thought things couldn't get any worse regarding the Wuhan virus comes this news. It is indeed shocking, but is it really all that surprising? And joining me now with the latest made-in-China fiasco is Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend.
1: Hey, David. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Always a supreme pleasure. Sheila, this is scandalous. Crap product made via slave labor. My first question is this, how is it that for the most part, China is getting away with this? I mean, I just don't see the outrage anywhere that this story should be generating.
1: Well, that's the thing. We have to, I suppose, we don't have to, but we rely on China to manufacture things because American manufacturing has all but dried up. Now, to Trump's credit, he's doing his best to bring manufacturing back to the United States, encourage the United States to limit their supply chain with China, um, and maybe that will be the one silver lining in all of this, um, that at least you know the United States, for all of its buying power, will no longer be buying many of the things that they used to buy from China. Canada not so much. Canada still relies quite heavily on China and that's of course because China is Justin Trudeau's most uh, admired dictatorship. He doesn't see a problem really with doing business with a country that first infected the world with a disease that caused our economies to shut down, lied about it, uh to obscure our ability to react fast enough to keep it out of our countries. And a country that Justin Trudeau sent our PPE back to, our strategic supply of PPE, sent it back to them so that they could use it to fight the disease they already allowed to spread to us. And then they sold us defective products. Um, And when we complained about the defective products and sent two planes to pick up new products, They didn't meet us on the tarmac with new supplies, and those planes came back empty. And now, on top of all of this, it's uncovered that they are using the slave labor of persecuted Uyghurs to manufacture this crap PPE. Um, It's truly appalling, and where is the human rights advocates where are the people who who are protesting right now in the streets in north america about systemic racism and and uh lobbying for mandatory face masks because i think there's a strong overlap between those two groups just power hungry control freaks where are they on this because this is actual systemic racism happening to the uyghurs um their children are being rounded up and sent to re-education camps, residential schools is what it really is, where they get to unlearn their culture, their religion, and their ties to their family. And the parents, the mums are being sterilized by the Chinese state, and the dads are being shipped off to manufacture products that the Western world has to buy from China, because China infected us with the disease, and the Chinese state is enriched by the slave labor.
0: You know, Sheila, this is the fascinating element of your story that really intrigues me. And it is the plight of the Uyghurs and the almost silence in the world. I mean, when you look at much of the Muslim world, they are obsessed with the Israeli-Palestinian situation. We have, during normal times at least, major Western cities hosting... Um, Al-Quds rallies, you know, where they, you know, this Iranian regime generated thing to demand justice for the Palestinians. We have Day of Rage, again, a pro-Palestinian cause. But what's happening in that neighborhood is nothing compared to what's happening to the Uyghurs in China. What is going on? Can you connect these dots uh, for me, Sheila, so I can understand why there is a lack of outrage regarding this minority?
1: Yeah, there there's no comparison because Israel first of all does not violate the rights of the Palestinians. In fact, they protect the rights of the Palestinians. Um, there are Muslim members of the Israeli Knesset. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they have equal rights um, in Israel. So there's really no comparison. However, these Uyghur Muslims—they're the wrong kind of Muslims. Justin Trudeau will trip over anybody to uh, denounce um, anti-Muslim racism or bigotry. I mean, look at the hijab hoax. He came out um, against the alleged snipping of a hijab of a little girl on her way to school by a, quote, Asian man. Um, And that was a hoax. He denounced that as a problem we all have with anti-Muslim bigotry here in Canada, and it was completely fake. And yet, Muslim Uyghurs are being ferociously persecuted in China. And you won't hear a peep about it from Justin Trudeau because China is more important to him than all those other social justice causes he claims to care about. Um, and when I say they're ferociously persecuted, I, I cannot stress that enough. One of the least worst things happening to them is being sent to forced labor camps. Their organs are harvested. They are parted out like old cars to rich Chinese people and people with connections to rich Chinese people within the like communist state officials. Their organs are being harvested for rich people. I mean, it's it's really the, the worst of the worst of the worst. It's a genocide. It's happening right now in China. And you can't get Justin Trudeau to say a word about it. It's much like the Christian genocide that happened in Iraq.
0: You know, Sheila, what I can't understand is the unspoken story when it comes to our prime minister and our federal liberal government. I would have said, going back to last month, that the unspoken strategy of these liberals is to give China a free pass, don't say anything derogatory about China, don't say anything pro-Taiwan, because at the time there was the possibility of a U.N. Security Council seat uh, on the line, which we did not get, and of course we would have needed uh, China's uh, support for that. So now that that little bobble has been taken away, um, what is still preventing uh, Trudeau and the federal liberals from calling out this regime for their egregious behavior to the Uyghurs?
1: I think it's ideological, and... you know, for sure, um, I, like you, thought, well, maybe after the Security Council seat is lost that they will start taking a harder stance on China and stand with our allies, because really we're sort of alone amongst the five eyes. When it comes to our treatment of China, we stand alone as the sort of the lone pro-China of the five eyes. Um, but if you really want to see how deep uh, the Liberal Party of Canada has been compromised by the Chinese Communists. Please, I cannot recommend it enough. And it's a book the Chinese Communists don't want you to read because they showed up to try to stop our book launch. Uh, I can't recommend Ezra's book enough. He goes into such fine detail of, and, and meticulous detail about how the Liberals have been compromised. It, please go to China Virus Book dot com and get it on amazon while you still can it was banned and then it was unbanned but based on the chinese communist presence trying to stop our book launch just outside of edmonton this week i bet the pressure's back on uh to amazon to pull that book again so if you can get it now go to chinavirusbook.com
0: yeah certainly the government is uh taking a pass on getting their hands dirty with this issue but sheila what about the media you know which uh is is full of social justice warriors and full of those uh campaigning against racism you'd think this would be an irresistible subject uh to go after and yet i i almost never see the word uyghur in a news story uh so what is uh, causing this kind of um self-censorship i suppose
1: uh, you know, I, some of these news agencies, they like to take money from Huawei for ad buys, and that's important. So Huawei is the high-tech surveillance arm telecom company of the Chinese state. And some of these news media, they're, they're struggling, uh, deservedly so. And so they'll take ad buys from Huawei. But I think some of it is ideological. I mean, they, they will report verbatim Catherine McKenna praising the Chinese for their commitment to going green because they bought some, I don't know, electric buses or whatever. In the meantime, <laughs> they're just belching CO2 into the atmosphere in their coal plants, if you care about that sort of thing. I really don't. I care more about actual pollution in particulate than CO2. But I mean, a lot of it is um, the liberals are pro-China and the media are liberals. And so they report unskeptically on China. And then the other half of it is, you know, they'd like a little Chinese money too.
0: Yeah, Catherine McKenna and her electric buses and her snowshoes when there's like (laughs) seven centimeters of powder on Ottawa streets. Unbelievable. Sheila, great commentary. And as Sheila said, folks, China virus, there's the real deal right there. Buy it before they ban it again. Thank you so much for weighing in on this very important issue, Sheila.
1: Thanks, David. Have a great weekend.
0: You too. And that was Sheila gunn Reid, somewhere in the hinterland of northern Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. An
2: Albertan father was allowed to die after the life-saving treatment he was told he needed for his heart condition was deemed non-essential due to the COVID-19 lockdown. I'm Drea Humphrey for Rebel News, and today I have a very sad story to tell you about an Alberta family who recently lost a much-loved family man. Two months ago, during the height of the pandemic, on April 16th, Jerry Dunham took to Facebook as he sat in the doctor's office. You see, he had just received the news of a decision that he had no part in, And he told his Facebook friends and followers that a nurse told him that the surgery he needed to get a defibrillator installed would not be happening. Why? Because Jerry's surgery was deemed non-essential. Now let's look at the initial thoughts Jerry had and wrote on Facebook right after what I assume was devastating news for him. So six months later or so, time for surgery and boom, all non-essential surgeries postponed. I was basically told that the government is willing to risk my life to save my life. Let me say that again. My government told me they're willing to let me die, which according to them is for my own safety. Heart surgery, apparently considered non-essential. Now, I know some say that's not essential, but it's pretty dang essential to me. Now, I'm told today possibly could be a year or two. Jerry was foretelling his own death. Two months later, Jerry died at the Medicine Hat Hospital, leaving behind two little daughters, aged six and nine, and a former wife, Krista Lambier, who refers to Jerry still as her sole friend. The National Post reported that almost 200,000 surgeries and other procedures, including cancer screening tests and clinical trials for experimental medicines were shelved indefinitely as hospitals braced for a possible flood COVID 19.
0: And of course, we know now, in fact, we've known for months now, that the COVID 19 flood turned out to be a mere trickle, that the hospitals never did descend into war zones. Heck, they're half empty. And meanwhile, if you are on an elective surgery list, well, <laughs> cross your fingers and pray to God for some divine intervention because you might just need it. And joining me now to discuss this further is our newest Rebel, Rebel contributor, Drea Humphrey. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Drea. Hi. Well, Drea, I almost can't believe this story. Jerry Dunham dies because the treatment for his heart condition is considered, quote, non-essential, end quote. But this relatively young man actually ends up dying... And this is all due to COVID-19 precautions that prevented him from being hospitalized for, for his own well-being in the first place. Drea, if this story weren't so tragic, it might make for a Monty Python script. How did we get to this point?
2: That's a good question. And this story is actually near and dear to me because it was a huge red flag for me at the beginning of the lockdown that elective surgeries like this were in fact deemed non-essential. I actually hit the street, not like that. (laughs) I hit the streets to protest. I socially distanced, it was a socially distanced protest. I wore a mask and I said, we need to open up surgeries and we need to open up them up fast. And of course not all of them, but ones like this. And then to hear what happened, um, you know, later on to people like Jerry, it's just, it's thickening really in Canada.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I think, Drea, there might be a misconception out there what the term elective surgery means. Elective surgery doesn't mean someone's waiting to get a nose job or something, you know, some cosmetic procedure. That means they're on a list with potentially life-threatening ailments, as clearly this was the case with uh, Jerry Dunham. So um, do you think maybe there is some ignorance out there amongst um, the general populace that they have bought bought into this narrative, oh, well, the hospitals are Wuhan virus war zones. We can't bring more people in there when the reality is, as I said in the intro, Drea, they're half empty right now.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we've heard of nurses being laid off as well in in areas of the hospital. But yeah, I think that the wording of electric... uh, of elective surgeries is a little bit, I don't want to say misleading because that's what it is. But if you're not really in the field, it would make sense that you might think it's a nose job or something like that. But no, this is real people of all ages who are at risk without the surgery. And were we not choosing to stay home and choosing to shut down businesses and choosing not to see our friends and family to protect? Canadians at risk. So why why then did we turn a blind eye to someone like Jerry?
0: You know, Drea, the other thing too, and I found this staggering to watch in your interview uh, with this gentleman's widow, was the fact that they were actually en route to classifying this as a COVID-19 death when it had nothing at all to do with COVID. Well, actually, it did have something to do with COVID. These idiotic policies around COVID prevented him from getting in to get his treatment done. But what is what is going on there? What is the unspoken strategy in saying that he died of the virus as opposed to what he really died from, which was cardiac arrest?
2: I can't answer that question. It's been a question I've been asking myself ever since I read on the CDC website that doctors are to mark death certificates as COVID whether it is presumed or assumed to be a COVID-19 death. So how many of the cases have been assumed? And in this case, it wasn't an assumption because according uh, to to her, according to her, it was actually proven. He was tested and was found negative for having COVID-19 and yet still, they were gonna mark it as COVID-19, so.
0: (sighs) Yeah, you know, Drea, I I think, and this is not just any kind of conspiracy theory or a hunch on my part. I have interviewed an Ontario nurse and an Ontario doctor. We had to keep their identities hidden. But they were of the uh, position that this is all about ginning up the numbers, making this so-called crisis look even worse than it is. Because technically speaking, you could be walking downtown Toronto and a steel girder falls off a crane, crushes you. And in the autopsy, if they find you were infected with COVID-19, that's how they're going to put it into the book. So my personal theory drea based on what these healthcare professionals have told me is it's just um, a sort of a a strategy to instill even worse fear into coping with this pandemic than what really exists
2: yeah and here we are months and months later with very very low death rates we're still in a state of emergency we still don't have parliament sitting and we're strengthening laws like masks in quebec mandatory masks in quebec toronto and calgary now
0: and counting i'm sure so
2: what is going on and why aren't more canadians demanding answers to stuff like this?
0: well you know i think when we get back to the old normal and lord knows when that's going to be uh there are probably going to be thousands of inquiries royal commissions the world over examining how we handled this virus. And I can tell you just from our reporting here at Rebel News, I think we made a huge strategic error, as did other countries, in shutting down the economy and causing all kinds of other misery there when we know in Canada, for example, Adria, 82% of the deaths are from the elderly in long-term care facilities. That's where I think we should have... Uh, sent our resources to, not shut down the economy. I mean, you're young, you're healthy. You have a six times higher chance of getting killed by, getting hit by a car crossing your street in Vancouver than you do of the Wuhan virus. And yet, look how we're treating our young people, closing the playgrounds, closing overnight camps, at least here in Ontario. You know, Drea, I, I think it has been a shocking dereliction of duty on behalf of the health officials and authorities on how we handled this virus, uh, you know, from the get-go.
2: Absolutely. And we're being told there might be a second wave. And how is that going to be handled if it's not being addressed now? I know Bonnie Henry out here in BC yesterday was just saying exponential numbers are possible. But I don't know if you noticed, David, that recently there's been a shift of focusing on the cases, the cases of the virus rather than the death count and i find that that's an interesting dance that mainstream media seems to be taking now as well
0: uh, you know drea you are 100 percent correct on that especially with the u.s media because everything including this virus is channeled through an election filter and right now you continually hear oh the number of cases spiking in texas and in uh, um, uh, florida and whatnot. Well, yeah, they're spiking because America is doing more testing than any other nation. There are well over 40 million people have been tested and you're right, just because you're infected, especially if you're young and healthy, if you're not elderly, if you don't have respiratory disease, you're not going to die of it and they don't report the deaths, which, you know, when you look at uh, other nations, uh, the US is doing very well. But again, through the electoral lens of the mainstream media stateside, it's all got to be Trump's fault, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, everything. Everything is always Trump's fault. (laughs) Yeah. And I also saw that uh, another news, I wish I could remember which one, they said 85 infants tested positive for coronavirus. So it's very important when you read the headlines and you read the articles, are they saying COVID-19 or are they saying coronavirus? Mm. There is a difference and coronavirus is actually, you can go to the CDC website and they will let you know that the common cold is a coronavirus. So you have all these people thinking all these infants uh, got COVID when you don't, they never said that. They said coronavirus, which could be the common cold. So I, I really hope that Canadians are waking up and doing more research when they're reading things and, and really evaluating that against statistics and going to the website themselves. If you, if you read the CDC website regarding all the COVID stuff with a critical mind, you can see that there, there's a lot of things that uh, need to come to light and we need explanations on that.
0: 100%, Dre, I totally share your concerns. As always, the devil is in the details. Great report, my friend. Heartbreaking though, to see that mm-hmm. interview. Clearly, this was an absolutely needless death. And thank you for bringing it to the attention of our audience. Much appreciated.
2: Thanks, David.
0: You got it. And that was Drea Humphrey in Vancouver. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Well folks, I am here at Dufferin Grove Park. That's near Bloor and Dufferin, just a few minutes away uh, by the way from Food Benders that lovely eatery. And guess what? We were tipped off that this is now where the Nathan Phillips Square occupiers, i.e. the people who make up Afro-Indigenous Rising, this is where they have recamped. Um they were finally convinced to leave Nathan Phillips Square last Friday after occupying the square for three weeks. They vandalized the square. They put graffiti all over it. uh, They urinated. They defecated everywhere. But you know what? I guess that's the thing. (laughs) Boy, there's a lot of angry people driving Mercedes down here today. (laughs) The, The horn's working. Have here. you tried? have you tried the headlights? Get huh? What, what get, go, go. Oh, we're on a public no, sidewalk, go, sir. Go, go. Rebel news? Yeah. Gone. Why is that, sir? We're on a Why? public the sidewalk. you racist pieces of garbage. Oh, that's a nice Mercedes AMG. I'm impressed. How'd you get the coin for that? The point here, folks, is that here at Dufferin Grove Park, the uh, Afro Indigenous Rising has camped out illegally for at least a week. And uh, it makes you wonder, is this what we're down to in John Tory's Sanctuary City? When it comes to illegal encampments, is it a game of whack-a-mole? We boot them off Nathan Phillips Square and they come to another public park, namely uh, Dufferin Grove. (sighs) Welcome to Toronto's version of the Summer of Love, Actually, it's the summer of squalor and seething hatred. That's more apropos. Although you have to wonder why Mercedes boy was so upset. Looks like life has been good to him thus far, especially when you're driving around town in an imported high-performance German automobile. But then again, being perpetually angry and incoherent seems to be the hallmark of the left these days. In any event, here's what you had to say about Toronto's traveling tent city roadshow and all the misery it brings. Jack writes, "Look at all those wolves in sheep's clothing pretending you care about struggle while driving around in a $100,000 car. What an absolute joke! And the tent city morons eat it up and think they're on their side. They're not. They're wealthy and would know a damn thing. Wouldn't know a damn thing." what you go through so why would you let them be your allies screw that oh Jack there is a reason why the tent city rank and file need the ilk of Mercedes boy to be their allies it's this money who do you think is cutting the checks for afro-indigenous rising so that the ringleaders can oh I don't know stay overnight at the Sheridan Hotel the GoFundMe page for this group at last check was more than $49,000 so yes Toronto champagne socialists play a vital role indeed when it comes to the department of useful idiots. Robert Toes writes, Why are woke people so unhappy, violent, angry, and anti-freedom of speech all the time? Why would I ever want to be part of their reality? Yes, it's kind of like they're the real-life versions of the Ben Stiller character, Mr. Furious, from the 1999 movie Mystery Man. By the way, if you haven't seen that flick, you really should, folks. It's a hilarious parody of the superhero genre. And the so-called superpower of Mr. Furious is that he just gets really, really mad. But he doesn't do anything except stand there and yell and scream. Mr. Furious would be the perfect mascot, mascot, I should think, for the far left of today. Music Sing Live writes, racist garbage. The entitled man screams from his Mercedes-Benz. And yet again, Music Sing Live, this unhinged nut is unable to provide one single solitary example regarding the racism he's screaming about. The Goulom writes, I am a Mercedes owner and don't like when fellow Mercedes owners act like Audi drivers. It's a shame. Hey, Goulom, it could have been much worse. He could have acted like an infinity driver. Linda Wheatley writes, Lots of tents. Where are the pretend protesters? Likely at a hotel. Time for a new mayor who will enforce the law. Yes, the ringleaders stay at the aforementioned Sheridan where rooms start at $277 per night. As for enforcing the law in Toronto, Sorry, this is how we roll in a sanctuary city these days. Co-host Layer writes, Dude gets a $900 fine for sitting alone on a bench in an empty park, but these crack-tenters are allowed to commandeer an entire public park park yet again and fill it with garbage for taxpayers to clean up. Well, Co-host Layer, these days the unofficial slogan of Toronto is penalizing the makers, rewarding the takers. But not everyone was a fan of the of this report. Gary W. writes, where David Menzies get the nice expensive suit from? Was it from WE Charity? Okay, grammatically incorrect, but I think Gary is trying to paint me as a hypocrite for pointing out the supporters driving high-end cars when I'm supposedly wearing an expensive suit. Well, that suit is actually about eight years old and believe me, I didn't get it from the Hugo Boss shop. But folks, This is the same Gary W. who docks me in the comment section, publicizing my home address and telephone number. Now, why would you do that, Gary? To hopefully generate harassment toward my family? But folks, this is how the progressive left operates today. They are so full of visceral hatred, and yet they are so completely unable to articulate their positions. And all the while they chant, love, Trump's hate. Yet they are so quick to resort to intimidation, threats, and outright physical violence. Gee, whatever happened to classical liberalism? Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.